Today's gospel text comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So I think we said enough last week on ostentation because alms is the best example. Jesus spoke against people who gave away charity only to be seen. That cynical, oh, you little beggar, have some money and say how good I am. Well, that does exist in prayer and other aspects of religion, too. There are some people who just want to be seen. They want to pray so they seem religious. They want to get up and serve so they seem like they're good people. And we find that there's plenty of hierarchy, plenty of pomp and whatnot in religion. But I will not belabor that, because today... Religion is not particularly popular. I'm rather aghast to find out that people people find that mechanics, which I used to be, are more trustworthy than a pastor that I am now. So I would like to spend today on the bigger issue, that we as Christians don't pray at all. And I think that comes down to the fact that like alms, where... It's fine to give away charity if you get a plaque and you look good and everyone sees you doing it. I think there is a temptation in the Christian religion to like the showy prayers, to like the easy prayers. We like the idea of going to God and saying, Devil be gone! Flash, bang, boom. We reject the idea of grunt work, of going into that closet in secret of persevering, of praying for the same thing over and over again as it seems to get worse and worse. One of the Old Testament's favorite blessings is the blessing upon those who wait on the Lord. So many Christians, they cross their arms then. Fine, Lord. If I can't pray and see it happen right now, I'm not going to do it. Now, the other issue is we simply don't learn how to pray at all very much, and we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer next week. But part of this is church prayers are bad teachers at times because of all prayers, they are the most likely to give themselves over to that show-off, showboaty way of doing it. Now, we pray the way we do at church to show creativity, to try to express and give expansion to ideas and teach people how to go home and do it but it's really kind of formal. And I can understand if you trip over trying to come up with a big giant pastor prayer, especially if we shove a mic in your face and say, hey, would you like to pray? But it does get to that problem, that biggest problem that happens when we don't know how, when we stumble on words. We get to where we don't know what to pray for. Yeah, We don't know what to pray for, because we have not been maintaining the relationship of prayer with God. We don't know what to pray for 
because we have not been conscious of the fact he acts through every single aspect of our life. So what happens when we don't know what to pray? When we don't know where the Spirit is leading, what God's will in our life is because we're disconnected, well, we tend to get into, like these examples today, formal prayers. There are many books on how to pray that are very good, but a lot of people read them for the wrong reason. We try to look for the right way to move God. If I pray this way, it'll happen. That's why, as a pastor, I'm not particularly awestruck by the daddy praying. We think if we become really informal, he'll listen to us. There's others who will just pray scripture verses verbatim, thinking that if they pound the Bible, God must listen to it. And there are always people who use thine will, thine will, thine will. They'll pray and get submission, but they don't get anywhere out of it. So anyways, tying this all together, in both not praying and being tongue-tied, the main issue we are facing is who God is. We do not pray because we don't understand that. Who is God? Well, I can tell you when it comes to prayer, he is disposed to answer and to aid. We don't ever pray in any way, shape, or form to convince him. In the other Gospels, that's why Jesus says, don't go babbling on like the pagans. Don't go looking for the big fancy words that you think will make him do things. We are taught in the epistles that the Holy Spirit himself is who breathes prayer through Christians. God wills the act of prayer. We can all agree on that. Well, God moves through his will to bring us to pray. And that's why Jesus says, go ahead and pray to move mountains. Because God is a God who is predisposed to move mountains. But perhaps the issue is not the upward glance. There are many people who they can look up and they can see God and they can say, Lord, I can pray to you even if I don't feel like anything will ever happen. Your will be done. They can see God and submit to him that way. What some people lose sight of is who they are. Jesus gives us a word here. And when we get to the Lord's Prayer, we'll really get into it. But Jesus always prays to God as Father. And that's because he wants all of his disciples to know that they are children of God. Every prayer that we pray is done from the position of being not a servant, not a slave, but a child and an heir of God. How does God describe himself all the time? As a father who comes running out to greet the prodigal son. Jesus tells the people out in the desert, well, you guys who are evil know how to give your kids good gifts. What do you think God's going to do? When you ask for an egg, give you a scorpion? No, one of the reasons Jesus in this section here says, don't give your alms out in public. Don't be pray to be seen in public is because the father sees his children in the secret, in the dark, in those times where we feel the very most that he doesn't see us. We have access to God when we are in the deepest and blackest sin, because that's what the cross means. But even more than that, we are a royal priesthood, having access already. We prayed last week of the image of Revelation, where John sees what shall be? The saints casting their crowns around. We are in that reality every day. And what's more than that? We have the Holy Spirit, don't we? True God of true God. How many false teachings slip into the church 
because we think that we have to somehow approach God when we have him dwelling in us. We can go on that, well, we're Trinitarian, yada, yada, but you have the Holy Spirit and that's the whole shebang. There is no more getting more God when you have the fullness of God, as we say every single time we repeat the creed. There is no need for any other intercessor because it's all there. That's what being adopted by God means. And I'll add this one. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the prophets. Now, one thing about the prophets is we obsess over fortune telling. You mentioned it, everyone's heads go to like, oh, great, now he's going to talk about end times. The prophets in the Old Testament have a much more important function. They must mirror Moses, who always stands for God before the people, but stands for the people before God. And what does Christ do when he fulfills his office of prophet? He stands for the people before God, and he stands for God before the people. So what does a life look like when it's lived in Christ? What does the Holy Spirit call us to do? Now, it's not in this gospel, but Jesus gives his best explanation here when he contrasts the babbling to the pagans. In the ancient world, prayers were always legalist. The Latins especially would say, oh, to heretofore mention God, we kill heretofore mentioned pig, to chop down so such and such orchard. If you're upset that this was your sacred orchard and we didn't give you enough pigs, please talk to us later and we will rectify it in subclause B. That's how Latins prayed. But see, we do that too. Lord, if I say da-da-da-da-da-da-da, but that might be going too far, so I'm going to add a your will be done just in case I overstep my bounds. And I'd really like you to do this, and I have this verse over here to do that. Prayer never gets started. We never know what to say because it is a reflection and a showing forth of our relationship with God. And the question is, what does a relationship with God give us? If we think it gives us a whole bunch of rules and limitations, it's not going to get us anywhere. If we think that it gives us freedom, if it gives us spiritual growth, if it gives us assurance that God cares about us and answers, our prayer life will be very different. But there's a challenge in all of this. A real prayer life, a real relationship with God will not be something that you can parade around and have everyone look at you and say, oh, he's really cool and religious, isn't he? what Jesus is preaching against. Being a godly person, Jesus has told us at the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, will get you persecuted. So there's no reason to assume it will ever be showy or respected. Which gets to another thing. How many of us pray when we work for God? There are people doing ministry, people doing things in the Lord's name, and how often do they even stop and pray then? It's it's not legalism, it's not dependent on right words, but having no words, having no concept, shows there's a bad relationship. And I shall leave you with a bit of pastoral advice. We'll be looking further at this next week, but the greatest secret of a God who sees you praying in the closet, of not being showy, of it being at those times when no one knows, is that God works the most in prayer. You will see the mountains move the most when we can't, when we cannot pray, when we acknowledge to the Father that we are completely impotent to the task that is before us, when we cannot have faith, when the Father says, Lord, heal my lack of faith, 
That's when Jesus cast the demon out. We met, we met today in our Old Testament reading, Jacob. It's when he is wrestling with God, gets knocked in the hip, and leaves with a limp in that tear-down, rugged fight in the middle of the night that Israel gets its name. Well, the church is holy Israel, he who struggles with God and with man. But my friends, Jacob never had a hope in that fight. And when it comes to our struggles with God, when it comes to our struggles with each other, we don't have any hope in ourselves when it comes to that fight. In fact, the grace of Jesus Christ works at its utmost when we have failed him completely. It is in those that have walked away or have never known God. It is in sinners and enemies and those that stand alienated from everything God stands for. It is to those that the power of the cross and salvation comes. And are you not children of the Father? Has that not been shown to you? And do you not know that there is more behind all of that? When you step into the closet, you don't step into a strange God you don't know. You step into the Father who sees you in secret by his Holy Spirit sent from his Son, true God of true God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, prayer is a reflection of a relationship with you. I pray for all those who have not worked on it, have not felt it worthwhile, or have become discouraged. Lord, we have been praying for some heavy things today, and it is easy to become discouraged and to feel hopeless. We live in a world where everyone tells us that prayers are just nice hopes. We hear rumors and whispers. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known in reality and in power in this congregation and in all those that are gathered here today. We pray especially for our local town and the area to which we minister, that the power of your name would be shown forth to all around us. Lord, build your church. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.